0: That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder, and rock and roll, and the only place to hear the anticipated Duff McKagan joke of the week.
1: Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. I hope everybody's doing good. Uh, Listen, you know you call uh, chess aficionados bragging about their game at a hotel? Yeah, you call them chess nuts. Hosting in an open foyer.
0: Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, thank you, Duff. We're starting the new year off right. The first joke of the week for 2023. Onward and upward. And today on Talk is Jericho, I've got Jeff Jarrett, which is insane. After almost 10 years that Jeff has never been on as a solo guest. And he's talking about everything. How he ended up at AEW how his AEW office gig turned into a spot back in the ring and the splash he's made since his arrival, working with Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Satnam Singh. We talk about his last run with WWE in the office and in the ring, what happened and why it ended. We get into his early career in Memphis with Jerry Lawler and the lessons he learned from his dad, uh, Jerry Jarrett, and, of course, Jerry Lawler, the king himself. We talk about TNA, how and why he got that started and what he thinks about its growth and longevity. And Jeff gives a full accounting of his involvement in Ric Flair's last match. Before we get into it with Double J, the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Ranger at Sea, Four Leaf Clover sets sail February 2nd to the 6th from Miami to Great Stirrup Cay. We are just a few weeks away. Still a couple of cabins left for the vacation of a lifetime. The ship is the only place to be able to see Jericho housing, the tag team of Jericho and downhausen versus the Guns, and also the only place to see the inaugural crowning of the Jericho Cruise, Oceanic champion. So much great AEW talent will be out with us too. Lucha Brothers, Ray Phoenix and Penta, El Cerro Miedo, Jade Cargill, Swerve Strickland, Ricky Starks, the entire Jericho Appreciation Society, the acclaimed Wardlow, Mark Henry, oh, so many guys, so much more. Uh, We got comedy, music, live podcasts on the ship. Eddie Kingston, Ortiz, Ruby Soho, The Spanish Announced Project. Fozzie's playing three shows. I'm doing three Talk Is Jericho's live, maybe four. And we're going to our own private island for the first time ever. Great stirrup case. So book your cabin now. You still got some time. 27 days away. ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Don't miss out the vacation of a lifetime. And with that being said, let's get to Jeff Jarrett, double -t T, right now. And talk is Jericho! All right, so it blows my mind after almost 10 years that Jeff Jarrett has only been on for... A short period of time uh, with Nick Aldis when you guys were doing the GLOW, the GWF, whatever it was. So finally, uh, one-on-one, Double J and Single J here on Talk is Jericho. (laughs) I made the list! (laughs)
2: Finally! (laughs) I finally got invited to the Cool Kids
0: That's right, huh? (laughs) No, but it's ama- It's great to have you here uh, and there's there's lots we can talk about, but I mean, it's funny because I know rumors started going around about you coming in to kind of help with some of the infrastructure and then a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. You end up in the ring every week as well.
2: Is that what you were expecting when you first uh, showed up? Absolutely not. The, uh, <laughs> this entire year, Chris, t- 2022 is kind of bizarre uh, to kind of get a set point back in 2021 Uh, you know coming out of the pandemic and and everything that went with it i just kind of one morning uh, i've always worked out gone to the gym and all that kind of stuff but but i've never had a trainer and my buddy who trains titans and preds and country music stars we just started uh, almost like we do in the business a running joke he's like i'm gonna start training you and you're really gonna get in shape finally i said all right i'm gonna take you up on that offer and so i just no real focus of hey man i'm going to get in the best shape I possibly can. And then the beginning of this year, Game Changer Wrestling, they had reached out and did the Hammerstein Ballroom, and then NWA, hey, special referee, Crockett Cup is in Nashville, and that, and then took a summer internship at your former employer. No, that's what I call it because <laughs> <laughs> it was only uh, about 100 days. hundred day, day But anyway, did that with live events, and then we all know what what uh, their, their regime change and all that. But I did SummerSlam. And then Conrad and Rip last match, that was, you know, uh, old double J was kind of option B and C. It was <laughs> – it, 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 going into it, it was going to be a single and then a tag and then a six-man and all kinds of different scenarios. But then it just kind of fell into place and um, – did The Rick Fair last match, and then, uh, yeah, out of the blue, uh, just kind of had started having conversations uh, with the place you built mm-hmm. the house that Jericho built. Yeah. That, that, that um, but no, all kidding aside, it, and, and that was all on, I guess you could say, my day job the director of business development. Uh, I'm very familiar with Universal Studios, obviously, the live event business. I'm a third generation promoter. I got some international projects that have been in the works, some for three or four or five years, uh, others. Been been going about 12 months, so those conversations took place. And then, like you said, funny thing on the way to uh, the bread store. Hey, man, <laughs> do you want to put on your boots again? <laughs> and here we are. It's kind of you know, crazy.
0: I, I know for sure, because Tony saw you uh, in the match with with Lethal against Flair and, and Andrade Flair's last match. He really liked the combination of you and Jay, and I think that's one of the reasons why you're doing this, because you had such a good showing in that match.
2: Yeah, well, which is... The history between me and Jay Jay Lethal, uh, a little independent promotion called uh, Cyberspace Wrestling in Wayne, New Jersey, (laughs) right when TNA was going. And so we were just doing the Wednesday shows, and so I was taking uh, independent bookings. Really, Chris, just going out, making a buck, but also trying to really get into the DNA of WCW had closed down independent wrestling was not like it is today. You guys were off doing, you know, Mm. the WWE deal. And so just kind of looking for talent up north, really anywhere. And here's this kid, Jamar Shipman, Jay Lethal, who, man i just really fell in love with got to got to know him personally uh we had a you'll like this story I've, I've told it a couple of different versions of it but uh one night i'm the heel he's obviously the baby face i knew his mom was in the crowd on the back row and i just kind of looked up at her and quit kept staring at her just drawing a line on her finally she kind of stood up and then we started jaw-jacking. <laughs> and the people got into it and then we went on about our match. I came back the next month and we did a deal by the third month she was in Jay's corner and she chased do- Double J around the ring one night. but anyway, that's how fall back uh, we go and then at TNA, uh, you know he's a great wrestler and he would always do the impersonations and people looked at me crazy and I'm said, I'm telling you he need that needs the black machismo needs to be an extension of his personality They're, he's so good at it because he can do all the outlandish promos, but he can tie it in, and then he can go wrestle. Mm-hmm. Great! Mm-hmm. So I've been a huge Jay fan, way way back. And so, for us to have that opportunity with Rick Flair's last match, we were in the dressing room before we went out, and we, me and Jay, kind of had this connection. I just looked at each other. I said, "What are you thinking about?" He goes. Look at us <laughs> after all these years. And Sanjay flew down, which was really cool for, for that. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be there. And the three of us had been tight. And then Karen walked in the room, and she knows how tight we are. We kind of had a corny, quasi-special moment before we went out. But it was cool. So, yeah, me and Jay. Uh, and we got good chemistry in the ring. And mm. I, I think the whole group with Sotnum is truly a one-in-a-billion talent. I think there's so much upside with them, And then Sanjay and the pencil, there's some uh, – I think there's some good chemistry between the four of us. I think that's cool about it,
0: too. You're doing the same thing that that I've done for years where, like, we don't need to see, you know, Chris Jericho versus Jeff Jarrett, right? (laughs) But Chris Jericho and the Jericho Appreciation Society or Jeff Jarrett with, you know, Satnam and Jay. It's like there's – it's almost like a great football team where you have the vets and you have the guys in their prime. You got the rookies and you got the the, the up-and-coming, you know, playing squad or whatever it is, practice squad. And I think that's it, – it's funny because when you first came out, I was like, oh, there's Jeff Jarrett. He's got the guitar And then now it just fits. It really it, – it, it works. And you know how to get heat, too, which is such a rare <laughs> thing, too,
2: right? Oh. <laughs> from one heat magnet to another. <laughs> but, no, it, and that's something that, that I have always – you know, in Memphis, it was just how things were done. Lawler would bring in a young guy and, I mean – Glenn Jacobs. I mean, I could go down a list of monster heels that he would bring in, but that's how Lawler wanted to not only keep himself over, but to to develop talent. And then, yeah. And then he would, you know, way back in the day. I mean, we could, I could tell story after story about that's kind of the nature of the business of, and Dusty Baker is a, baseball manager and I heard him say years ago and then when you look at the blockbuster hollywood movies they always got the leading actor but man you have those scene stealers you got the 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 you know the 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 journeyman actor that's in everything but yeah just kind of the glue so I'm at this stage of my career I am so grateful to be a part of it and uh just the other day I was conversation was going on and I said hold on you're not going to find another seven foot five guy. I said, There is something unique. And I mm-hmm. said, Most of the time, and we can go back to Giant Gonzalez and a few other seven foot footer, footers, he's got a basketball background, which means he can, his footwork is there. So I, I am the biggest Satnam fan in the world. I think there's so much upside. You've seen Kali's success in, in India. But, you know, I just think Sotnam's on another level. Athletically, he's bilingual. he got a great lineage. And so I just, you know, I'm really bullish on him. And so I feel I'm lucky to be a part of the group that I'm with because Jay's highly decorated, uh, came in. There's so much talent here. So I, I think as a unit, collectively, one plus one plus one plus one is a lot more than four. Mm-hmm. I think, like mm-hmm. your Jericho, appreciate right. you, Y'all together as a group, is great today and even better for tomorrow as those kids develop
0: you're a great example of there's no job too big or too small and the more you learn about a business the more valuable you are you really are a wrestling chameleon and you mentioned being a third generation and you've been in the business your whole life you've always had a gig and when there wasn't a gig you made a gig you know what i mean like you've been very good at that Uh, Is that just because of of the way you grew up with your father and your grandmother using that experience to, to your advantage?
2: You know, Chris, as we uh, get a few years under our belt, I've had it, especially kind of the last couple of years to reflect on that. I think there's something in the Jarrett DNA that um, we don't do very well sitting still. So we always try to think things through, but, Again, I was taught at a young age in this industry, if you don't know how to put up the ring, you really aren't in the business. I mean, that's – but my father really had that mentality. I'm I'm so grateful that he was at times such an asshole to me, that he was just like, nope, you're doing this. Nope, you're pulling the ring. Nope, you're going to learn to market. You're going to learn to run the concession stand. Just every job in the territory days, he really wanted me not just to be around it, but to actually – take ownership in it and so I learned that from a young age and then you know going to WWE uh, or WWF in those days when you just kind of look at the garden and then all of a sudden you have this market rep and this guy runs live event production and this guy runs TV you just kind of see how it all works together so I've always been I'm one in five in my family as far as siblings I'm the only one that got the bug but man I am so fascinated to this day and now with social media, that, that that how how it all ties together. So, in a lot of ways, still I'm more of a student of the game today than I was 20 years ago by far. But I just had dinner uh, with my dad the other night, and he was sitting there like an 80 year old man does, bitching and moaning about this. And, and I'm like, what? And he's got these rental properties, and and literally he's retired five times in his life. <laughs> I'm done. But over the last couple of years, he got into about the last eight to 10 years, he got into flipping homes and houses. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? But going back to, he doesn't like to sit still. So Mm. he turned one property into another, into another, and then he's selling some off now. But anyway, yeah, just that entrepreneurial spirit I think is in you. I think it's in me. I, I think it's, we just don't like to get comfortable doing the same old, same old. All
0: right. There are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos, eh, amigas. See, already learning. Haha. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk as Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Was it hard when you first started being the promoter's son? Because a lot of people think, oh, it's the easiest easiest place to be in. But I would think it's probably the opposite, not just from your father, but from the other boys and from everybody else around.
2: And I got lucky. I used to not think that it was 100% lucky. But luck, to me, is almost the same as being grateful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That that, um, When I broke in, obviously, it was kind of the end of the territory days. And so that mentality. But... Nick Goulas was the old Greek promoter that my father bought out, uh, gotten into big promotional war, but he had a son named George, and I saw George, gosh, 90 days ago. <laughs> but, but George didn't have a lot of athletic ability, never put in the work. Uh, his dad kind of gave him everything. He never paid his dues, not just as far as running concession standards, setting up the ring, he really didn't pay his dues as far as learning his craft. And so my dad witnessed that. And my dad, the only reason my dad became the promoter is that Nick really gave him the opportunity because Nick was running the business in the ground because he had blinders on and was pushing his son as the top star. So that opened the door. So here's my dad, a young businessman, and then he grows and gets successful and successful. Then all of a sudden, I come along his son. He went so far the other way that just the respect for old timers respect for just kind of the whole mentality. He just went so above and beyond, but it gave me a, a, a perspective on the industry that I'm glad that I have. And Cornette used to say it, and I still say it today because he, he really coined it being the promoter's son is the greatest blessing in the world and the worst. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of depends on So I made it through the early tougher years, but as time went on, um, I think, uh, you know, even a Bill Dundee or a Frank Morell, some, some old timers that are around, they kind of knew the real story. And they're like, no, that kid gets zero hands out. No, I don't give a shit. I, I've seen it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's we only got an hour today, but I can tell you some <laughs> stories that um, I've driven 250 miles from my house to apologize to Jerry Lawler in person because I asked him not to eat in my car. And my dad found out the story. I had a brand new picture money had a cadillac we had to drive up and down all the miles all this i'm taking lawler from i don't know where it was uh from the the show but like 100 miles not even 75 miles i was driving or something we got in the car and guys you know how the boys are whopper just crap everywhere so i got some ocd back in the day and i uh anyway that's the story but anyway i said hey no eating in the car that was the car rule Lawler gets in with this food and everything. They start ribbing and Lawler's like, you don't want me to eat in the car? And I'm like, well, Jerry, (laughs) no, I I would rather you not. And he's just like, you're serious. Well, it's a brand new car. So I kind (laughs) of stuck to my guns. Lawler calls my dad and tells him this story, kind of chuckling, but kind of like, hey, this is where your son's at. My dad went through the roof. Oh, wow. I mean, son, I want you at my house because I had to drive from. Yeah, I want you at my house now okay you know before cell phones okay i go up there and walks in and he comes in and he he used to have this like a chain like we use in wrestling yeah he used to keep it in his pocket and he'd twirl it around his thumb and twirling around <laughs> his thumb. and i walked in and he's just sitting there doing that and he said i'm gonna just make this real short and sweet hadn't i taught you about respect and he goes through this whole speech that i listened to and he says all right when's your next day off and i said sunday he goes okay you're driving to his house no phone calls You're going to apologize to him in person. Wow. Really? (laughs) So from my house to Memphis and back, about a seven and a half hour trip. So I got to think about it all the way down and cuss my old man, but not Lawler. And Anyway, but no, I know I got long-winded there, but I'm very grateful that my dad looked at the business the way he did and wanted me to respect the industry. And that's carried with me a lot of years. I love this business more than I do I, I love it more today than I ever have, and I, you know, for me to have the opportunity to appear on TBS and TNT and Global at this stage of my career—shit, are you kidding me, Chris? Well, love you, it.
0: you learned the respect for the business. I mean, I came in a few years after you did, but obviously, not to go on a—you know—back in the day. But there really was—it was a lot harder to get into the business back then. And when you did, like, you didn't want to make those mistakes because you—you know—if you disrespected one of the vets, you would get you know the shit on your bed or you know the, the eyebrows shaved or all those different things that you we don't really have anymore probably for the better but you yes, know, yeah, yeah, it, yeah it's a different vibe now
2: the, the world's changed mm. and, and i get it i've got five kids and and just the discipline and the interaction and their awareness i mean we didn't yeah i don't have to tell you boy we're sounding like chris we're beginning to really sound like two old timers but you know the twitter instagram tiktok they're aware for so much and and the 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 opio- opioids and the fentanyl and yes. just all the exposure and, you know, if we're getting into really life lessons, there's the, the porn that's on. T- just they are bombarded with so much in society. I just think, yeah, it's definitely a different world that we live in and our business is different. Mm. But, you know, kids come in today and, and I see their athletic ability and kind of their passion to do it. It energizes me and I want to help the guys yeah. big time.
0: Now, you mentioned coming in kind of for uh, doing to business in the infrastructure part of AEW. So because we are, and I've noticed this, obviously, it's not a secret, but we grew so fast, so quickly, like three months in, we had a $160 million television deal with TBS. And much like anything else, we were green as a company. So I think there was a lot of You know, uh, responsibility to some of the Jacksonville Jaguar um, management to do some of our stuff. So now we're we're working on building a whole infrastructure of our own and you're a part of that. So what is some of the jobs that that you are being asked to do here on that side of things?
2: You know, it's it's a work in progress. And that's we just had this before we roll tape. You know, I was sharing with you about before I took the job, I went out and did my own due diligence really on the brand not so much i'll call it the wrestling bubble or social media but from television is is very easy to see but the live event industry which that was that's one of the hats i'm wearing is really we'll call it house shows uh it's not a four-letter word around here which i love (laughs) um but you know so the house show business i'll call them the non-televised live events i think it's the proper terminology that i use when I'm talking to different promoters, I said, hey, these are non-televised. Oh, I got it. Uh, but that that's it right up at the forefront. And that's going to be a situation that I want to be careful that we uh, – I'm a big believer in crawl, walk, run. If you jump into something and you guys, like you said, you know, a couple of months in, that television deal, and my God, it's – hats off it's unbelievable the success through the pandemic which nobody right. could have planned on and you know we come out the you know i say we uh, aew we come out the back side of that and you know arthur ash or i mean we could talk about a lot of live event success stories but the thing for me as an old promoter is that's on a wednesday night that is Fozzie, you know well. You don't play many Wednesdays, I would point. assume. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, you know, unless you're out on tour, and, and that's kind of a different deal. If you're you're out, you know, on routing and touring, but every promoter in the world wants to run Friday or Saturday, and every now and then a Thursday, and then it just depends. But the success on Wednesday nights is something that I don't believe the typical wrestling fan, and certainly not the viewer. That I don't think they connotate. It's like, a great point. It's 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 just amazing. It's the hardest night of the day of the week to promote Hmm. nothing's even really close you know and wwe's been in the market 30 years raw's coming up on 30 years so that's a monday night that's a staple you know i don't think there's any mystery into why uh friday night smackdown i know they're Fox is a programming, but you know, Friday night's a lot better night to sell tickets. But anyway, success on Wednesdays is huge. So now getting into the non televised events, I want to be real careful that we strategically and you know, help with the guidance on getting we call them CD markets, but candidly, markets that dynamite's not going to go to. Right. Like Dynamite is an it is at the top of the top of the top. And I can tell you, you know, we're not Garth Brooks or Taylor Swift, but we are a property that's 52 weeks a year that's incredibly value, incredibly successful. And so, you know, that's the driver of, of this brand. And so to put shows in, you know, C&D markets, I hate to name markets because then all of a sudden either I didn't get mentioned or they think it we're coming there. <laughs> but no, though, that that's at the top of my list is non-televised. Universal Studios, which was so freaking surreal that i was just there this week right
0: (laughs) and that's where you used to
2: film a lot of impacts yeah almost all of it but i was just there and so being a part of you know that situation we'll kind of let the cat out of the bag because it's already getting out that uh karate combat it has been on the property at universal studios pfl when we were there at universal studios chris we're in between the two parks, but it was kind of like a hidden secret. It was truly called The Backlot mm-hmm. and that there was no forward-facing events. You couldn't charge for it, really couldn't sell merch. It was a true studio mentality is go in, shoot your content, whether it's a 30-second commercial or full. You know, They've done feature-length films on right. that like that. And you know, wrestling was just one of many properties. Moving forward into 2023, I'm super excited how we kind of launched Universal Studios or a relaunch, and, and it's going to be – you know a paid crowd it's gonna it's just gonna gonna have a whole new vibe to it so universal studios non-televised live events and then some international International. projects that that i'm working on and that's going to be again at tna we had a lot of success internationally and it's just because the u.s has four major i mean u.s is just you know this from Fozzie. it's just a different world once you get outside the united states the AEW brand, believe it or not, is it, we are. We are on par with with WWE. We're, we're just, you guys, prior to me getting here, super successful. ITV is strong. We're, we're growing. TSN it, is strong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I still never really consider them international. I feel <laughs> yeah. they're, they're home. They're just north of the right, border. Right, but right. yeah, it's true. I mean, well, you're talking about ratings in other countries. Yes. Are, they're, huge. They're, they're huge. Yeah. Huge. And that was something that literally, um, Chris, I I was here I think my fifth day, and uh, our, our friend Kevin Sullivan. I'm texting him and I said, "Hey man, I need to get a deck put together." He's like, "Dude, are you already doing this?" I said, <laughs> "Yeah." I said, "I need numbers in Canada." And so anyway, they came along, and I was, man, it's fantastic. The yeah. the, the growth internationally is super exciting, and. Because America is so developed, you know, Raw on Mondays, NXT Tuesday, Dynamite Wednesday, SmackDown Friday, uh, Rampage Friday, Impact, all the different things. So, America has a lot of content, but we can sustain it. We we can internationally, they don't get that. So, I think the growth of AEW internationally, not just the UK, India, Australia, South America, all through Asia, man, I think we're going to see a growth period. Just because pandemics, some parts of the world are still coming out of it, but a lot of growth to be done internationally.
0: You know who's living large at my house? My three cats, Mr. Mittens, Indy, and Snickers. And you know why? Because we switched them to Pretty Litter. Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter. Because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us and less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. i got to deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last-minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house, meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I think you, you pointed something out that a lot of people might not even realize just how valuable the AEW brand is already. Because once again, we're still only three years in, you know. And I think, you know, there's as wrestling, you have times when you go to a city and you sell out in two minutes, you have times where you struggle a bit. But I think people forget just how big it's grown in such a short time and we haven't even been outside of the country yet besides the one show in Toronto
2: and I asked for this uh, data but again it's uh, and I don't people I don't think people understand I know you do kind of how the headcount of employees is still very small right like yes. folks uh, I, I don't want to give numbers and because I don't know numbers but you know if you're selling a house you go to comps WWE, you know, over a 1,000 employees, and then it didn't contractors. We ain't anywhere in that stratosphere. <laughs> yeah. So a small headcount, but that's smart because uh, it's very obvious the, the the focus has been in the television product. And when you really look at the strength of the brand, and I know uh, from the, the quick due diligence I did, you know we have been to repeat markets already and i know even with the pandemic we've been to repeat markets so so there's a lot of new markets we're going to in 2023 which that is just such a understated value point that oh you've never been to laredo oh you've never been to el paso oh wait you're going to seattle seattle major market portland sacramento bay area we've never san francisco that, yeah. that's coming up that's yeah. huge Three shows there yeah. yeah so it's huge so the growth i think 2023 you can i can already just see kind of the surge that and that's just really i'll say spreading our wings a little bit more because the focus has been on that wednesday night dynamite in you know 20 markets 30 markets growth is going to be an understatement i believe
0: so you've worked on opening companies, starting companies quite a few times with with the original TNA, and then we mentioned the the, the global that you had. I know you did the one in India, the Ring of King. Um, were those? I mean, there's a story I want to get to here. Were those by necessity because you go uh, when you when I came to WWF in '99, we had a very short period of time we were there yep. together. Yeah, and you were working with China, and then. I was working with China. <laughs> I kind of inherited her from
2: you, <laughs> you sure did. right? It's we've the, never talked about. We've that. never that's, talked about. That's this. a whole other podcast. Yeah, it
0: really is. But I would love to hear the story that I've heard about for years of of that that show in Cleveland, the Good Housekeeping match. Yep. I don't know what the, you held Vince up or you, whatever it may be, but it kind of led to a real falling out with you and Vince to where I think once WW, WCW shut down, you had no other choice but to try and start your own company because you knew you couldn't go back there.
2: Here's how I view that that and I've hey folks if you want to hear a three hour podcast go to my world because <laughs> right. uh, you got your own podcast yeah. but, I mean we dove deep into yeah, the story yeah. the reality was and man how do I give the Cliff Notes version is that our co-worker Jim Ross was putting his team together and my renewal was coming up and I really believe because WCW was going down and WWE was going up I don't think for a minute he thought I was going to jump mm-hmm. i mean i don't even think but and and so that w- his negotiation i believe was not negotiating with me and i've just you know whether it's old school or my entrepreneurial spirit or kind of see the writing on the wall and knowing that we've kind of that because the character was red hot the male chauvinist with Miss Kitty and Deborah and Chyna, you know, she was red hot. She was. D- and DX was red hot. So I knew the timing was right. And and by him not negotiating, and look, Vince was out taking his company public. So he, he called me, and I, I don't even know if you know this, but I've said on the story. He called me when it was too late and, and was, was like, what happened here? And I just said, man, he didn't negotiate with me. But it was too late. I'd already signed. And so me leaving, and it goes right to the heart of it. I believe Vince respected me more for showing up, doing uh, the job. Because you were, you were not under contract. I wasn't under contract. That's the my, my, thing. My yeah. contract expired on Saturday, and, and Sunday was the pay-per-view. And Where you so were I dropping
0: did, the title to China.
2: Right. Yes, yeah, so I didn't have to do that. I also knew that, hey, here is you know, in the pipeline of cash, three or four pay-per-views, two European tours. So I had a lot of money coming. I'm like, I want to get that money. How, how do I figure that out? I want to get that money. But then here's kind of the most importantly thing that when my wife got sick and I couldn't make my downside, but it was kind of Jim's choice. He didn't book me in live events. He lowered my downside at a two-year deal from 97 to 99. He lowered it. And, and I've gone into this in detail. And so he lowered it. And so then when we got into the negotiations, and here's where it kind of got way, the sto- the wrestling story just it blew down. Me and Jim came. we he, Jim was trying to come to a figure in Cleveland that I'm going to write you a check tonight. Talk to my attorney. He says, don't take a WWE check. And I'm like, what? He goes, nope. Get it from Gundarena There's going to be that much cash in the house. So the, <laughs> the check was from Gundarena And so that was kind of my, here's how we're going to play ball. I don't have to be here. I can leave right now, Jim. I'll walk out. Here's your belt. No hearts feel I'm not on contract. No, no, no. We want you to drop the title. I said, okay, here's kind of the parameters. I want the money from Gunn. I want this. I want this. And look, we got a sellout here. I'm not the main event, but it's kind of a high profile. And there's a little leverage on y'all want this belt to be transitioned. So I did all that deal. Vince is about to become a Billionaire, he don't give a crap. You know what I mean? As far as dollars and cents, <laughs> right, you know, right, 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 right. we're thinking fifty or a hundred thousand dollars to to Vince that day. Yeah, it was nothing. He was going public like that's when the day I, Sunday he went public on Tuesday. Oh wow, two days. Wow. So the timing of all of it. And so when I did all that, and I stayed in street clothes until I had the check in my hand, Vince comes over in a gray. I'll never forget it. A three piece suit. He reaches in his jacket, pulls out right there, 30 feet from Gorilla, pulls out his check, says, I want to be the one to deliver this to you. And I said, I wouldn't take it from anybody else. And he gave me a big hug and um, went to the ring, you know, got dressed, went to the ring, did the match, came back, flower and all that crap all (laughs) over me. I kind of acted like I was going to hug him, but I didn't. I ran and showered. I was getting out of there. When I got done showering, I came back to go position and said, Vince, Thank you for everything. And he got up, took his headsets off. He shook my hand. So I think he, I don't, you know, who knows, but I think he respected that. And so at Nitro, the last Nitro, I I took it as an honor. He mentioned me and fired me when there's a whole roster of WCW guys. So people like, oh, did that offend you? I'm like, I was under contract to WCW. I was getting paid another nine months. I couldn't go to work for him. Then when, that all happened, and I sat back and Bob Ryder, who you knew very well, my father, and a couple of a bunch of other folks. I'm thinking, there's a void in the marketplace, man. There is an opportunity to start something that maybe I, I thought in my mind. But here's an old wrestling thing, and I when I told Conrad this, he goes, "I never looked at it that way. You never want to go to a place when it's on fire. You never want to go to a place. I mean, when it's already up there." Hmm. When you already have a boatload of talent, so they had all the WCW. You know, right. they had they had the roster with you were there, all of that. Then Vince had the pick of the litter, Nash, Hogan, Goldberg. Yeah, yeah. Guys that I'm well aware are way above my stock, mm-hmm. and we could go after failure after failure after failure that didn't work out. So I knew for sure, I don't need to go now. I need to bide my time because there's no demand for that. Kind of like this situation, you guys, when when Tony approached me and I'm like wanting to do all the director of business development, no, all this, and then he got into, we've already discussed it, no, the magic of you and Jay and this and that, and I'm like, okay, I can see this working, all that. But anyway, so that the opportunity was there for me to launch TNA, and, and so that's, I kind of seized that. My dad went with him, and he he saw it, and look, it was a lot of ups and downs, but that was the That was the real impetus of me to jump off into starting TNA. I just knew there was a void in the marketplace. You, Tony Khan saw the huge sure. void in the marketplace. I just love
0: the old school. And once again, that's something that probably Vince loved the fact that you give, get the check from the gun arena. Gun arena. <laughs> <laughs> so they can't void it. That's right. I mean, that would never happen again, ever. You know, no. it's such a cool kind of, like you said, one foot in the past, one foot in the future story. Yeah, it is. You know? For TNA Impact, I mean, it's still it's going. still going. Do you take some pride in that? That it's still something you started 20
2: years ago is still going. It, for sure, I do. It, you know, it's 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 like a kid that you raised that, yeah. that not on the best speaking terms in 2017. I'll take all the blame or as much blame as needed, but I do have a lot of sense of pride in in uh, and from a professional point of view. To you know. Look, TBS and TNT are top five networks. We got on Spike in the Viacom family. Spike was probably the fourth network in the Vi- MTV, VH1. They were kind of a redheaded stepchild, if you will. They were. We were on a top. I think it. I think we we're a top twenty-five cable network. Not bitching, but but we got really successful. It took us a lot longer than three years, but you know we were making six eight million dollars a year. 07, 08, 09. so really built that thing and got it rocking and rolling, kind of dated you on our Cheesecake Factory meal one time. Yeah, <laughs> but, right. but no, we, we had built that thing up, so from a professional point of view, you know, Jill passed away in, in 07, and that was, you know, from a personal point of view, dark times. Professionally, just the opposite, Chris, hmm. it was something that, I, to this day, very proud of. We, were, we got that thing rocking and rolling, and then it became, oh, that looks easy. And me and the Carters, not me and the Carters, me and Dixie got sideways. And look, I'll take my responsibility. I didn't deal with everything perfectly. Uh, there's a lot of blame to go around, but that those times are very good. And then in 2013, when me and Toby couldn't back by uh, controlling interest, I, I, I just knew the writing on the wall that it wasn't going to be, it wasn't sustainable in, in the current model. Mm. And so that's when I resigned and left and Uh, gave Global Force, and we're going to tell that story coming up. There's a lot of folks that, I think even you, like Fox Sports plays a story. There's a lot of stuff that wasn't reported in sheets because there's like five of us that knew, but on the Global Force story. But anyway, in the 2017, but they just had their 20th anniversary impact because that's your question, is that, yeah, it's cool. I mean, that library from flair hogan hardy's you name it name after name after samoa joe the homegrown
0: christopher daniels and there was a point in time where samoa joe was my favorite wrestler in the world when he was with impact
2: with with kurt so good kurt yeah we it was a really really and and i hear stories about AEW, the the correlation of just kind of the vibe and 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 the energy and and everything that went with it because you know Mick Foley was with us for a time and Mick was so good for the dressing room because here's a guy that legendary dude but he's like he he was so good so anyway a lot of good times in that and yes I am again I'm so glad Anthem you know yeah your backyard yeah Lynn, Lynn Asper but th- that group got a hold of it with deep pockets mm-hmm. you know we could sit there all day and the, the business is so subjective it's because it's creative, but yeah, I I'm super impressed that they're keeping on, keeping on.
0: Well, so the peak of, of TNA was probably 2008, nine. Yeah. And what kind of a rating were you guys doing? That so
2: that's, that's, I mean, that's why it's, it's different, but he, here's what I always look at when you hear different folks either bash it or congratulate it on, on, online. But we were doing about between 1.8 and 2 million viewers uh, a week which, you know, again, it's, it's Great. A, it, it, it was fantastic. But we were so, here's what I try to impress upon, whether it's Conrad on my podcast or others, we blew their network average away. Wow. You know, so the network average in prime time and you know, they had different content, but you know, the, the network average, 800,000, 900,000. So when we're doubling that every week, the value to, to, to the network was enormous I think had we kept on that chartered course, it would have been, who knows? Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think we would have got a, another hour on another night, maybe another two hours. We were, we, the trajectory was that way. Uh, it didn't happen, but but um, we were so far above network average and the numbers were good. The demo was good. Uh, they were an all-male network and we're very proud of it. Uh, so yeah, it was, but it, we had a good little run there for a wow. while.
0: What led to you kind of reconciling with WWE?
2: As ironic as it may or may not be, so quick cliff notes, 2017 of October was the darkest period of my life. Mm. And that's when, um, you know, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And by the grace of God, went into alcohol uh, treatment. And that was, you know, Karen was, yeah, she was ready to kill me for sure. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, you know, we got to get him help. And so Bruce Pritchard had worked at Impact with her. She knew Bruce. She knew Road Dog, all my buddies, you know, different buddies. So she had reached out to Brian, reached out to Bruce. Just, I need help. And they just immediately went, boom, we're going to get on the phone with WWE. Uh, and so that was kind of my first <laughs> entry back into Jeff Jarrett, at least being in the conversation after all those years. Uh, and then coming out of I, I, out of that, and I've told this story; I'll never forget it. I was getting ready for church, and well, I was already ready. Karen was in our bathroom getting ready for church, and I got a text and said, uh, "Hey, can you chat?" "Yep, chat." "Hey, man, uh, Vince would like you in the Hall of Fame. What do you think?" Mm-hmm. And so, 2018 was the Hall of Fame year, and then from there, Royal Rumble, and you know, "Hey, do you want to produce some matches?" And then me and Vince struck up a conversation, and I said, "Hey, Vince." I want to do more and he goes can you be at the office next tuesday i'm like this is all within 30 days right so right, yeah right. so had that and went up and um full-time you know on, on the you know cwt creative writing team but you know just <laughs> in, in Korea, I was I as part of the creative writing team for the first probably six months but that's really just traveling with vince at the shows observing and all that and probably I don't know, 30 or 40, uh, no longer than that, but three or four months. One night on the plane, he just said, hey, man, stick around. And then he said, I'd like for you to kind of dive off into live events. And I was just like, hell yes, (laughs) I'll do that. And then uh, we did that, and then then the pandemic hit no more live events, and he moved me over into international. And that's something that has been right up my alley. I feel lucky that I got that opportunity Mm. to – kind of look at learn. I mean, you know, TNA is one learning ground. Through the Global Force days, uh, also had an international agent who, again, uh, that continuing education, but then seeing the WWE system from an international perspective. Uh, I learned a lot, amazed a lot, and then I, I think that can really help us, Chris, as, as I sit here sure. today
1: m- moving into the future with AEW.
0: How were, like, were the differences in your experiences of working for Vince? Uh, I guess the major difference is working for Vince as a talent in the ring, and then working with him in the office.
2: Well, to back, you know, I left in '99, and and we weren't public. It was almost the last day. Mm-hmm. So, coming back and it being a publicly traded company, it changed everything to me. It was just a, it's truly a corporate environment and all the good and the bad with it, the benefits and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's also, um, it's just a different vibe. It's a, it's a publicly traded company and you're well aware of that. And I think there's some good and the bad comes with it. You know, we're entertainment. I don't have to tell you that. I mean, so, uh, you know, I don't think ACDC, KISS, Aerosmith, any of those legendary rock bands were ever a publicly traded company. And there's a reason why. I don't think Fozzie's ever going to go public. But, you know, it's because what we do, it is so unique to what we do. Wait, you you mean you want to lose tonight? Yes, that's what we need to do. And then the following Wednesday, no, I need to win tonight. Well, you lost last week to an outsider. People don't understand. I'm trying to drill down and do some simple simple analogy. But when I came back to WWE and it was publicly traded, that was different. To me, the chairman was – at this point 15 20 years older but hadn't changed to, mm-hmm. I, I mean he's the same Vince the same mentality he you know he's going to work harder than you so he expects you to work as hard as yeah, him yeah. you're not going to outwork him all of that mentality still to me very 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 creative of course we all ebb and flow and and that and maybe as we get older we don't change our ways but f- for the most part Vince is Vince he's uh his track record he's hit a lot more base hits and home runs and grand slams and struck out just look at the track record. And I think I,
0: I, I you know there's a lot of guys here obviously that didn't work for Vince and I always think like man if if you worked would have worked for Vince for a year or two you'd have a whole different uh, a new enlightenment about what the business is. You know because you learn so much from that from him. And also, too, about the changes of the business, you know. And I think a lot of the guys don't understand that hey, just because you told me something yesterday doesn't mean we have to do it today because the boss changes mm-hmm. his mind. That's how it
2: goes. That's life. That's life. That, yeah. I mean, it truly, it, it, it's situational. And the thing that, and you, you know, you work Mexico, you work Japan, you work some Smoky Mountain. Working for different, even if it's bookers, Like I tell Dutch this uh, and I've told him, you know, that's working with him. So I worked as a talent in the territory days. Then later I worked for him in Puerto Rico. Then he worked for me. But, you know, different minds that they're the ultimate decision maker. Vince being the ultimate decision maker, he had a way of doing things, which to me guided me and so many others, because I, I just think that. We well, are a musician. I don't know if you've ever heard Phil Collins talk about producing yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that that sometimes you can rise up so hard to the top, but if you produce yourself 100%, you, you can really fall through the cracks because you just don't see the force from the trees sometimes. Absolutely. It, it, it'll bite you in the ass. And so having that kind of ultimate compass uh, that Vince was in, in everything, uh, at times a little bit too stringent but <laughs> that's another conversation but yeah I, I think it's good to to really have that visionary leader right or wrong because mm-hmm. then you can self-correct and i'm sure you witnessed this that vince doesn't like something and he sees something happen yep let's change it guys yep. we're doing it this way like that boom <laughs>
0: uh, and this is last few things to discuss like i said there's so much to talk about but when you first came into wwe it was a big deal wwf jeff Jarrett's here uh, the, the the gimmick it was almost like I remember there was a, a Robert Redford movie Electric Cowboy. You almost had the Electric Cowboy. Tell us about like when you came in. What, what was Vince's idea for you as a gimmick? And tell us about your entrance and all the different flashy stuff that you had.
2: Well, you uh, you love those light up jackets as well. No, <laughs> yeah. the, the um, what was kind of and look now as we're sitting here today on a podcast and all the social media and and. We're in the building where Chuck Norris super kicked me, so you'll know that. Oh, nice <laughs> it was, Freeman Coliseum, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but 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 Vince's vision of the you know he still called it country and western. That was kind of his mindset, but it goes back to he saw me. Uh, In Memphis, he came down and that's the first time he ever played the evil Mr. McMahon against Jerry Lawler. You know, he he was coming down every week and look, business was down 92. I mean, really down. Him and my dad were having the conversations, but Vince came down to us as a territory. We had a talent exchange and, and all that kind of stuff and Savage and Jimmy Hart and. Just all that, that, that whole kind of wide-ranging relationship. But he saw Jeff Jarrett, the white meat babyface, southern white meat babyface. Long dyed blonde blonde, hair. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Blonde hair, all that kind of stuff. And he was, he, he was like, you know, you can imagine him telling Jerry Jarrett, uh, I don't see anything in Jeff as a babyface. What? He's my number two babyface. But no, but, but anyway, Vince immediately, like, I see this guy as an arrogant heel because he, you know, Vince is Jeff, you can work your ass off. You can talk your ass off. You can do all this, but we got to create something larger than life. And he just kind of rolled out that you know, you're arrogant and you're going to use the WWF and rename it the double JF because you want to take over country music. (laughs) Country music fans or non-music country fans, non-country music fans won't understand this, but at the time Garth Brooks, Clint Black, the Haddacks of of Nashville were really exploding into pop culture. They, They were doing a crossover. It wasn't just country music. It was really a crossover in the early 90s. So I kind of fit pop culture in a way. And he just kind of saw that that character in me and then him and Bruce had the conversation and said, Vince goes, wait a minute, look at his name, two J's, two F's, two R's, two T's. Having spell his name. And him and Bruce had the conversation. And then Bruce hits me with it. And I'm like, what? And then all of a sudden, about the third, fourth pre-tape, I go, I got it. This is yeah. super arrogant. Uh, an asshole spelling his name at the beginning and at the end of every promo is heat. It's yeah. just like, yeah. I don't like you. <laughs> People don't like me to this day, I think, because they, they ingrate. But yeah. that whole character. And then um, I was there. And he didn't revince the the stripes and, you know, Porter Wagner was his point of reference to country music, <laughs> not Garth Brooks. It really was. Porter was his point. But, but <laughs> like from like the 60s. <laughs> yes. But, but kind of the flamboyant. And so once he kind of saw oh, I see, yeah. the, the flamboyancy of the outfit, because in my mind, uh, a country music wrestling star doesn't wear boots and tights. I just, I, I wanted to. So that's where I came up with the five stra- or the straps and all that. Like, I can't look like boots and tights or Southern baby face, all that. So I came up with that. Once he kind of saw that and he's like, all right, I want to add a hat and this. He said, And then he just kind of clicked and said, I want a light up suit. So when they called me, one of those phone calls you never forget. Pal, I'm sitting in this little area in my old house. What do you think? And I just went, Vince, I don't know how we're going to do it, but hell yes. I hate it looking. Yeah, it just... It, just again, the new generation era wasn't the attitude era, it fit for what we were doing then, and uh, we had some steam behind it. I just I, I had a real good feeling that I love the vision of that. So, how was the light up outfit made? Oh my gosh, to this day, you watch the Raw in um, God, the, the Bradenton south of Tampa. I won the title in uh, Tampa, uh, IC title, Tampa. Royal Rumble, 95. We did Raw the following night. And so I had worn the light up a a little bit, but it was not as fancy as yours. Yeah. Literally, battery packs in the shoulders. Gotcha. Had to flip it on. It was handmade yeah it, it, it was not a professional we don't have the technology today so all that but the i've still got a scar right there it burned through my <laughs> shoulders and it starts burning me and i'm squinching like that lawler's <laughs> doing a king's court interviewing me uh but it's funny but no it was it was handmade by remember richie yeah richie posner remember? magic brother richie yeah. he put it together and uh He's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry because I had blisters on my shoulders on that. But anyway, we kind of were perfecting it a little bit and a little bit, and the hat would come and go, but the lights would go out. Anyway, we were trial and error. We paved the way for you, pal. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Last few things I want to talk a little bit about uh, about your experiences uh, tagging and, and, and hanging out with Owen Hart. Once again, just the, the, nobody has a bad word to say about Owen. We're very happy to have Martha involved and have the Owen Hart uh, tournament. So kind of like talk a little bit about what it was like to team with him and hanging with him.
2: You know, uh, and i there for a long time. I When people would ask me about Owen, they were like, hey, man, give me a rip story. And I would kind of be almost adamant uh, not to kind of dive into uh, over the last four or five years. Chris, I, I refer to BS. That's before sobriety. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> b- 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 BS. But anyway, I, I didn't want to tell rib stories, but I didn't really realize how much I had. Really, uh, just suppressed so much of the emotion that I had for him. But in treatment, that was something that one, I cried my eyes out, but I really began to appreciate the friendship. But I always told that story that me and Owen, from the day, and he came to Memphis in '92, and we, him and Brett, we had some tag matches, me and Lawler against Brett and Owen. Oh, and, damn. Yeah, yeah. And we hit it off, and you just can imagine, you know, Brett and Lawler were the big stars. Whatever. But me and Owen always just kinda of hit off. We're promoters' well, kids. Another
0: son of the promoter, yeah.
2: Yeah, son of the promoter. So so we almost never talk wrestling. Never. We always would talk uh kids and you know, your education or what's going on in Nashville, what's going on in Calgary. So we had that kind of kind of deep relationship that we didn't talk wrestling. So running up and down the roads, I didn't you know, we, we never really understand how much we should have cherished those times mm-hmm. because Owen could just make the simple day of just silly ribs. Oh, Matt Miller, whatever, going through a drive through with Owen, going to a convenience store, just paying tolls that Owen would, you know, give the guy a, a 20 and then it's wind blowing. And on purpose, he's going to drop it, <laughs> make the guy go chase it at the gate, come back <laughs> with it. Then Owen ha- and then make him count out the change. And then Owen goes, no, 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 no. I actually have a five. Can you give me just we're at a toll booth for five minutes for nothing. But It's kind of Owen's set point on life that he was never in a rush to do anything. Just Owen was Owen. It's just it is still hard to describe. And I know some folks and even Karen were were, were like, I don't because me and Road Dog were together. Last year at a signing, and I started doing some stuff with a marker, you know, the deal with the marker and the Sharpie, and I'm (laughs) getting Brian on the – and Karen's just like, you are really being an ass. Why are you being so mean to Brian? He's getting frustrated. I said, I said, Brian, come here. And he's like, Karen, it's okay. It's kind of a knowing deal. He's just needling me on this. So anyway, you – You had to be around Owen to really fully, I don't have to tell you, but to fully appreciate him. Um, But I do, I I miss Owen just because of his perspective on life. He he was a guy, he just had his priorities in life. I mean, Mm -hmm. he never got wrapped around the axle of anything that wasn't important. He knew it was important. His wife, his kids, providing for his family, putting a smile on a guy's face. If I can help this guy, I'm really going to help him. Uh, That was Owen. Now, he'd drive Jack Lanza and all the other agents and talent and everything, Ahmed and Jim Doug, you name it. He'd drive them crazy, but at Owen's (laughs) core, uh, one of the purest human beings I've ever met.
0: That's one of the reasons why. I mean, we we worked with Martha for over a year, Tony and I, to kind of put together something that she was happy with. And, And my original idea was I'm sick of Owen's life being equated to the end of his life and this dark cloud I want people to remember that he's a pioneer and an influence on the style of wrestling today. And also as a character, he was great. And as a person, he was great. So uh, that's one of the the biggest things. I want there to be a bright light when you think of Owen Hart, not a dark cloud. Yeah,
2: yeah. and that was my whole mentality of, because there was was a period of, we're not gonna talk about the accident. Yeah, Yeah. we're not gonna talk about this. Let's talk about Owen's ribs. And I felt, it's funny you said that, Chris, I felt that was a such a disservice mm-hmm. because, and I get it, I'm not, look, I'm not, you know, the party pooper here, but it's just a part of who Owen was. The man that had the integrity that Oge and Athena didn't get the opportunity to experience firsthand, it'll never pass away, but that that's where, you know, you're talking about his legacy in Japan and, it just his influence on everything, to, to me, just the core of the human being, that's what I, when I saw Martha had signed the deal and, and, and the foundation being a part of it, I said, okay, now the opportunity is going to be there for the world to see the complete Owen
0: Hart. Right, right.
2: What was it like working with him in the ring as, as, as a wrestler? So you know me, Chris. I love to laugh and cut up and back of the day party and all, all that kind of stuff. But what kind of? I guess maybe it's a Lawler deal or in Lawler anyway. Once the bell starts, I am serious. I'll I, I kind of joke around, yeah. but not much. I'm all right. Let's go. A, I, I don't have a good poker face. If I get to laughing, <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to do that. Owen, on the other hand, he would drive me absolutely nuts. Do the thing when a guy's working his arm and. Owen pulls out of his you know, pantomime, starts smoking a cigarette. And j- just Owen would have a lot of fun. And, you know, f- from the Memphis days, you didn't do that. But, I mean, Owen, I mean, he literally, me and Owen had tags against Davey and Lex and him ass and Lex. <laughs> on the Gorilla Press? And, yes, on the Gorilla Press. And, you know, Davey boy, because Owen's like, hey, hey, feed in for this press slam. He's going to get you twice, get me twice. All right? And then later in the match, and Owen's uh, and I'm like, don't do that to Lex. I couldn't do it to Lex. Owen would, like, <laughs> fall into him, and Lex could not. I mean, Owen, he didn't care if it was a sellout house or not. Yeah. He was doing it. On my Hall of Fame thing, me, Edge, and Christian got to relive the, the red nose. That's the last rib Owen really played. What's, in what's the red nose? Have you not heard this story? Yet? I have, but I don't, what, I don't know if people but, have heard but, it. But, but the uh, uh, Chicago, uh, it was the start of the loop. To put it in context, the following night is when Owen accidents happen. But we get to the uh, – the sound like Ricky Morton sold out to the Raptors. But I've gone, b- I've gone back and checked. All-State Arena. It was, a, it, was a, it was a sellout house, stone cold. It was a really good house. Yeah. But we were working with uh, two young uh, fellow Canadians, Edge and Christian, me and Owen. And Owen gets to the building late because he's leaving Calgary. He d- didn't care. He literally lands uh, at O'Hare right over there. I mean, he gets to the building. It's showtime. We're on like third or fourth. And we had had the match, so we pretty much. I said, "All right, let's go over the match. Let's go." Ahead. And Owen's like, "No, no, no, come here, come here, Jeff." And we go in those one of those little bathrooms, and he comes there and he pulls out and he said, "Hey, here," and he hands me this ginormous red <laughs> nose, fake nose that I'm going to put on. <laughs> and I'm like, "What do you talk about?" He said, "Yeah, the spot in the beginning when they throw us together, but they do the ten punches in the corner. When they do the ten punches in the corner, I want you to turn as they, you know, as we get over in our corners, put the nose on." But d- don't let them do the 10 punches. It's got to be after 8, 9, 10, all that. And I'm like, <laughs> really? Hey, now you want to do this? So we did it. And then they shot us together. And we, he said, make sure you throw the nose off. So two red noses go up in the air. And it was just. Like, who would think of that? Like,
0: did he walk past the red nose who, in the airport or something? More importantly.
2: Who in the hell would do that? It's one thing to do it in Moline <laughs> right. on a Sunday matinee with yeah, yeah, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna do it in Chicago, and A Town. <laughs> he didn't care. Uh but that was Owen, man. That that was and and at the Hall of Fame, um, when I got inducted, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I stayed on time and everything and Thank Brian and thank everybody, but we just kind of came up with this idea and then they went and got noses. And so it was our way or my way of paying tribute to Owen in the Hall of Fame speech because of – that was just my shot Mm -hmm. to to, kind of give him a, a shining light on a Hall of Fame stage.
0: Last question for you. I mean, you've been in the business for so long. Is there a match or a few matches that stand out to you as being your favorite?
2: Oh, man, Chris, that's hard. I, when I answer this, I always try to go through the different eras. I had some 60-minute broadways with Lawler mm. that, that I look back on and cherish because I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to go 60 minutes with this guy? We did a babyface 60 minutes. Damn. Damn. He's so good, man. How good is Jerry Lawler? He's so, yeah. and, and his cadence of all of it, just unbelievable. The Moondog matches I had, which were really hardcore, before it was, you know, so 90, with Randy Culley or Larry Latham, okay. and Bill Smith. And gotcha. So the Moondogs, and there were some hardcore matches. And and look, it wasn't no AEW, WWE kind of houses, right? But it popped the territory when a time territories weren't popped, right? If the people wanted to come out and see it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at that, that era 89, 89, 90, 91, anyway, that, and then of course the shawn Michael matches. Yeah. Scott Hall, I I had, uh, you know, Scott's a big dude, man. And so the kind of matches we had, uh, I had a couple of ladder matches wouldn't hold up to today's standards, but we had some good matches. And then uh, when you kind of fast forward through the years, you know, a a young AJ Styles, that, Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I knew he was a special athlete. I knew he's a special talent. It, It just, we had some matches that, that to me were for sure some of the best of my career, and then it goes without saying. And From 2010, 2011, I had some matches with Kurt Angle that at that stage in my career that I had really, uh, and here I am 15 years, <laughs> still great, but I had really consciously made it in my mind that I was going to be a full-time executive and really wanted that. And then that opportunity came up, and I just said, all right, let's dive in. And Kurt's timing on false finishes yeah. and submission holds and knowing he, he you know, again, I was sat under the Kurt learning tree several times during that era, but th- those were some of the matches. We had one in Charlotte on pay-per-view Like to kill me, but, but uh, it was th- those, so different eras, yeah, sure. different mm-hmm. times like that. And then I know this may sound crazy, but the Ric Flair last match, you're a heel and a babyface. You you are you are truly an anomaly. The the the, the connection you have that no, just transcends. It, to me, it does. It transcends. Uh, believe me, I got buddies in the gym. All this, you know, your connection with the audience is never been done because right. I think from a Thank music you. perspective and the theme song, and you don't need you don't need Lenny Kravitz or uh, Joan Jett. You you got. Fozzie. Right. So that that emotional connection. But I think where I'm going with this is is that you're a heel, but you're also a nominee. But you understand where I'm saying this. For me to to have the opportunity to play the role that I had in Ric Flair's last match, the angle. I beat him up in the parking lot. It It was just kind of a, yes, it was a throwback, but it it worked. Yeah. You know, a, a $2 million weekend. And hats off to the nature boy. God bless him. I wish he'd slow down, but he's going to keep going the way he wants. <laughs> that was really special to me from a professional point of view is, is that I was the heel that got to do the honors. Yeah.
0: Well, Jeff, it's great having you in AW. You look great, and it's great having you here in the ring and out of the ring. And uh, they'll probably have to take us behind the woodshed and shoot us before we ever get out of this business. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I made the list, folks. I got on
0: Talk is Jericho. I appreciate you having me on. I really do. Man. Thank you, man.